How are you guys doing? It's a joy to see you. Um, welcome to week 36 of Spark, I think it is. So we've been, uh, if you're here for the first time, we welcome you, and we're so glad that you guys are uh, joining us um, on this wonderful, amazing journey called a church plant, which is really just a bunch of people that are trying to figure life out with Jesus, and uh, we do it very imperfectly, but we do it together and in love and with a lot of questions and a lot of engagement and a lot of good caffeine, thanks to Tony. So we appreciate that, and um, I'm also very uh, grateful to Ryan and Lily for driving over the hill and leading us in, in music, so we're always thankful to them for that. And thanks to Michelle for playing violin for us tonight, so that's always a special treat. We really, uh, really appreciate that. Um, if you haven't, uh, if this is your first time here or second time here, we've been in a series entitled, You Keep Using That Word, I Do Not Think It Means What You Think It Means. And we've been having a wonderful time talking about a variety of vocabulary that is often used in public and in private regarding faith, religion, uh, the Bible, and those different types of things. And just as a reminder, we wanted to get into this series because we think it's important for us to understand one another and to have conversations about, about what this thing about faith really is, and then also to spark interest. Hopefully, these words that are used that are oftentimes used in a very negative way, uh, we're hoping to redeem them. And people will uh, become more interested in these things that have deep, deep roots. Words like faith and religion and gospel and Bible, they have deep roots in our culture. And I put up there an additional thing, um, which is to, is the redemption of the words. And what I mean by that is this. We are, Danielle and I talked at the end of this series, we're going to add one more, and we're going to actually talk about the word Christian. And the reason why I put in the redemption of the words is this. The words that we use and that we're familiar with and the words that we uh, use to converse with one another, because they've been imbued with all sorts of different meanings and different um, contexts and uh, different connotations as they get used throughout our culture— we have a tendency to want to then dismiss the vocabulary and say, I don't want to use that word anymore. Like the word Christian, I mentioned the Marcus Mumford quote um, at the very beginning of this series that I don't even want to call myself a Christian anymore. And as Danielle and I were talking and as we've had some conversations with each and every one of you about this series, we've been asking the question, well, wait a second, should we allow that to happen? Which is one of those great questions that you wrestle with. Should we allow other definitions of the word religion, of the word Christian, to co-opt those terms? And therefore, because those definitions are now in those words, we want to dismiss those words. Or could we actually redeem those words and say, no, that's not what I mean when I use that word. What I mean when I use that word is this, and we can reclaim that word or redeem that word. And I can't think of another word um, as much as the one that we're going to talk about today, which is the word religion. Ooh, <laughs> already the settle. And in my very early stages of faith and in the journey of discovering all sorts of things that were about God and the Bible and church and all these kinds of things, 
Even then, many, many years ago, I disdained the word religion. Religion has this meaning and this connotation that was always so negative for me. And even today, I, as I was putting the series together, I was like, I'm not even quite sure how we're going to address this particular word because throughout our culture and throughout the ways in which it's used, it has been poked at, made fun of, been torn apart and used as a platform for other people to illuminate the ludicrousness or the ridiculousness, as Bill Maher likes to put around that, of people who believe certain things, who are committed to certain things, who have certain traditions. And so the word religion is this probably one of the most complicated and challenging words for me. And then I think of John Lennon with his song, Imagine There's No Heaven, No Hell. And then he has this line, Imagine There's No Religion. And the song kind of has this idea that, you know, we're all going to be wonderful and okay if if, uh, those things did not exist. Most recently, if you've been reading some of the news or if you've been um, paying attention to some of the things that have been going on in some of the philosophical um, arenas, you have people like Christopher Hitchens and the very title of his books and the very onslaught of his philosophy and the things that he's trying to share is really a strong, firm attack on religion. I don't know if you can read that or not. His title, the book, God is Not Great, in the American edition, it says how religion poisons everything. And in the English version, meaning the England um, publication, the case against religion. And Hitchens, as well as many other people, have been known to take this idea of religion or take the word and undermine it and argue against it and make fun of it and ridicule it. And so this word religion is is even still, I mean, this is one of the things that makes it difficult for me. Fascinatingly enough, in some of the conversations, if you saw this TED talk by Elaine de de Baton, he talks about how religion is actually a wonderful thing that can be used by atheists because religion has things like traditions. Religion has things like wonderful moral teachings. Uh, Religion has things like uh, sacraments, things that you can involve yourself and your soul in, even though you may not believe in a soul and believe in heaven or hell. These are things that you can actually participate in. And so even the word religion in popular circles and in conversations is this mix of well, Christopher Hitchens is talking about religions as, as all these bad, superstitious, religious things that you believe that we have to argue against. But then other atheists are like, well, wait a second, there's traditions, there's sacraments, there's moral teachings, there's all these things. This gets complicated too because our Constitution actually has religion as a part of it, which is Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or the press, blah, blah, blah. I don't mean blah, blah, blah. I don't mean any disrespect to the... But you, you know that the rest, what, the rest of that. So religion is even built into the very culture of American uh, history and American identity. Now, complicate that further by even those of us, which I mentioned at the beginning, who happen to be people who may actually be religious as far as holding to traditions, believing in faith, like we we talked about last week. There's even people who are suggesting that religion is this completely bad thing within the Christian and religious community. This guy, um, 
has over 25 million hits. This went viral several months ago. How many of you have seen this video, actually? Yeah, most of you in here. And the internet, at least in the social media circles and a lot of different people on Facebook, were arguing back and forth whether or not this guy was right on track or not on track. And he actually has a book that's coming out entitled Jesus is Greater Than Religion. So what I'm going to do tonight, very briefly, because this could be a very, very long discussion, I'd like to point out just two simple things. And this will be a very simple talk and a very simple addressing of this word religion. As I mentioned before, I'm hoping that we can actually redeem these words. I mentioned to you before that I hate that word. Like the very beginning and the whole concept of it was really grating against me and my soul. But as I've studied and as I've read the scriptures and as I've tried to engage the fullness of what life has, I've actually come to love this word religion. I've actually come to think of this word very endearingly. And I'd like to give you two definitions of this word religion that may help to form some context for us and what it is that we mean. Now, what we're not going to do is dismiss all the other definitions. The word religion in our popular culture and context is going to be defined and have connotations uh, from what it has been for a long time. And there's nothing we, I don't think there's anything we can do to get rid of those definitions. But I would love for our community and for anyone in your spheres of influence and in your conversations to think about this word in ways that we can think about the fullness of life and the fullness of faith and the fullness of following God and the fullness of following Jesus. Because there's some things here, two things specifically that I'd like to um, address that I think really redeem this word for me and I think find something that's absolutely beautiful. The first is found in James chapter 1. So if you have your Bible, I'm going to encourage you to go there to James chapter 1 and we're going to read verses 26 and 27. The word religion, fascinatingly enough, only shows up in the Bible four times. So that kind of gives you a sense and an understanding that even our ancestors, our faith ancestors, didn't use this word much. But when it is used, I think it's used in this very powerful way. Um, James chapter 1 we will start in verse 26, and it's a very quick teaching here. Verse 26, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Now, the word religion there used in James chapter 1 is the word threseikes. Say threseikes. It's a Greek word, and the etymology can be helpful here. What some people believe this word comes from is from a region of Greece called Thrace, Hence the word threseikes. And it was used to identify people who lived in this region who were deeply committed, who were deeply dedicated to their faith, their belief, the Orphic cult, and the religion. So the word imbued in the etymology of the word and the definition of the word are people who are deeply dedicated, people who are deeply committed to something. 
And James mentions here that if you are a deeply committed person, if you are a religious person, if you consider yourself a religious person, if you're deeply committed, but you do not keep a tight rein on your tongue, you deceive yourself. Some of us in this room should stop right there. And that alone is something that we could probably spend the rest of our lives and will spend the rest of our lives considering, hmm, let me think about my deep dedication. And yet, when I'm behind the steering wheel or when I'm in the line at the DMV or whenever anything is happening, the tongue begins to go. And as you may know, James talks about the tongue quite a bit and the words that come out of our mouths. Deeply dedicated, but yet there's this dissonance between how you speak. So are you deeply dedicated? Well, the question is, how dedicated are you can probably be measured a little bit by how you speak. Uh Uh-oh is right. There's a second thing that James does here. So that's not the only point that I want to make. The, The main point I want to make is this. He talks about that religion... That God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Now, there's lots of commentary on what does that world mean, but if you put those two phrases together, widows and orphans, and keep yourself being polluted from the world, it appears as if what James is talking about is the morals and the ethics and the values by which you live whether that be finances, whether that be sex, whether that be power, whether that be all those kinds of things. What do you live for? What's ultimately valuable to you? It looks as if what he's trying to say is that there are worldly values and what he calls the world, and then there's those religious, pure, godly values. And he's connecting that with widows and orphans. Now, this is a perplexing thing to me. Widows an orphan seems like a, obviously a wonderful thing. Compassionate, kind. It's a very benevolent thing to do. It's something that you should love and participate in. But why is that equal to religion? When religion is tradition, religion is attending church on a regular basis, religion is the things that you believe, religion is the things that you are convicted about. Why does he put those two together? I think the reason why he does this is because as you take a a quick survey through the entire scriptures, the widows and the orphans become this picture and this symbol of something very deep and profound, strung through the entire story of God. One of those hints is found in Exodus 22, verse 22, where, if we can bring this up real quick, if you can flip there real quick, Exodus 22 Verse 22. Do not take advantage of the widow or the fatherless, the orphan. If you do and they cry out to me, I will certainly hear their cry. My anger will be aroused and I will kill you with the sword. Your wives will become widows and your children fatherless. It's almost as if you don't care for the widows and the orphans. Well, you are going to continue to perpetuate that which you do not care about in that sense. In this Exodus 22 passage, and we'll show in some other passages, the widows and the orphans become again this picture of how God himself is the protector of, of the people, all of the people, 
And not just the people that are in charge, not just the people that have it all together, but the widow and the orphan are the people that are helpless. The widow and the orphan are the people that are ostracized from society. The widow and the orphan are the people that don't live under the same protections. And God says, I'm going to care for them. So why does James mention the widow and the orphan? Maybe it's something that's very, very close to the heart of God, because we see it again, Deuteronomy ten seventeen. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who executes justice for the orphan and the widow, and who loves the stranger. And at the very end of Deuteronomy, he mentions it again. Curses on anyone who deprives the alien, the widow, or the orphan for justice. And then that passage says, let all who agree say amen. Love that. Beautiful. The widow and the orphan became so central to the idea of what it meant to be the people of God that even it's, it's even mentioned in Job. In Job 22, remember this story where things are happening to Job. Bad things are happening. And he's a righteous man. But his friends come to him and said, have you done this? Have you done this? Have you done this? And they start accusing him of a lot of different things. And in Job chapter 22, he's actually accused of neglecting the widow and the orphan as possibly one of the reasons why Job is going through his pain and his suffering. And in Job 31, in Job 31, he says, I have never, ever neglected. In fact, when a widow and an orphan has come my way, I have poured out my heart and my soul and my spirit upon them. So, Psalm 68, 5, another passage where God is the father of the orphans and the protector of the widows. And while researching this, I saw this, uh, found this um, thesis written by Richard Patterson back in 1975, and he states this. Throughout the Old Testament, then, the cause of the widow, the orphan, and the poor is particularly enjoined upon Israel as befitting a redeemed people who are entrusted with the character and standards of their Redeemer. In other words, throughout the story of God, the widow and the orphan become the picture of those who are helpless, the picture of those who are set aside, the picture of those who are not a part of the community, and God is constantly going to them and rescuing them and calling all of us together to rescue them, to protect them, to bring them in. And that is a symbol of anybody and everybody who happens to be helpless, who happens to not have a full connection with the community, who happens to be ostracized because of some sort of circumstance in their life. So to love the widow and the orphan is not just a good deed. I think what James is saying, to care for the widow and the orphan and the stranger is permanently woven into the fabric of what it means to be in relationship with God. So when James used the word religion that is pure, and then he invokes the widow and the orphan, what I think he's saying, this is my suggestion, is that just like God deeply cared for the widow and the orphan all throughout the narrative, if we also care for the widow and the orphan throughout our lives, our hearts and God's heart are becoming one. That's 
religion that is pure and faultless. When your heart is enjoined to the heart of God and you love the things that God loves and you hate the things that God hates and you care about the things that God cares about. It's not just the things that you believe. It's the things that move you. Your empathy, your compassion, your values, your morals, your ethics. So when James says religion that is pure and faultless, the one, the kind of religion that God our Father accepts is the kind of religion where your heart and his heart begin to come together. And rather than competing against what God wants for you and trying to enjoin yourself to the world, your heart is fully in alignment with what God wants. And there's harmony and there's this beautiful relationship, then there's an intertwined set of values. Your heart and God's heart become one. That, I suggest, is what James is saying when he says religion. And that, to me, is a beautiful thing. I think so much in contrast with how we've understood the word religion is God saying you have to do these things regardless of what you feel or what you think. These are the things that you have to do because it's the right thing to do, because it's the religious thing to do, because it's the proper thing to do, because it's what your community does, it's what your church tells you to do, and you do these things, and there's this almost begrudging, okay, it's my religious duty. And that sounds like religion, the way we normally use it, is trying to get you just to do things regardless of where your heart is. And what I love about this definition is that it goes much deeper than that. What James is talking about is it's not just what you do. It's that your heart becomes enjoined with God's heart. And that there is no longer any conflict between what the Lord wants, what God wants, what he desires, what he seeks to see in this world, and what you want and what you seek and what you desire to see in this world. That, to me, is a beautiful definition of religion. One of the definitions. To care for the widow, orphan, and stranger is permanently a reflection of God as redeemer, savior, comforter of the helpless. And so are we. That's what we do. So that would be one definition that I would suggest to us. Not just getting people to do religious tasks and duties, but to seek out desperately where our heart beats, what our soul yearns for, and to join that together with what God desires in this world. To see that love and joy and peace and justice and compassion be expressed in this world. And our hearts become one with his. Okay? Second definition, which I love, is this definition right here. The word religion actually is, again, not used much in the Greek, but in the Latin, it comes from the word religari, which means to bind again. It's to reconnect. It's to pull together and to rebind yourself or something together. Things that have been broken apart are now coming together. And when I first read this definition, I thought to myself, this is brilliant. Because the entire narrative of the things that we are all about, that we see all around us, that we say, that's wrong, that needs to be fixed, that needs to be corrected, that justice needs to be done, what is that impulse within us? Well, it's to say, something there is broken, we use that word. Something in there doesn't connect. There's a separation of something, 
And religion in this definition then for us and for this movement is to now take things that have become disparate, separate, segregated, bifurcated, dichotomized parts, however you want to put that, and bring them back together again. Let me share with you some of what I think this means. We often think of sexual ethics as things that you're supposed to do and not supposed to do. And we kind of sum up youth ministry as love Jesus, don't have sex. Love Jesus, don't have sex. Love Jesus, don't have sex. What's the fun- fundamental lesson of Christianity? Love Jesus, don't have sex. And that's kind of, and at, at Kings, you know, we laugh about how we have these ethical kind of standards and we have modesty standards and we're not allowed to show shoulders, you know, and the kids always talk about shoulders lead to sex, you know, that kind of a deal. Because that's the ethic. And we learn that Christianity is all about those kinds of moral things. But if we thought about Christianity and these moral ethics in religious terms to rebind, maybe what we're, no, what we're talking about or what we're missing is that what we're actually trying to communicate is that the beauty and the majesty and the mystery of your sexuality needs to be rebound, reconnected to what a commitment, covenant, relationship is. And oftentimes, the dysfunctional ways in which we express ourselves is because we have separated those two. So how I behave physically is really not really all that care for how I think ethically or spiritually. That that is somehow a separate thing. And and what I do physically is really not bound to me emotionally. And what I do sexually isn't really bound to what I am covenantally or in relationship with God. And what these sexual ethics are when we talk about that is to say, no, no, no. Maybe what it is to think about this religiously is to bring those two together. That all of who you are, physically, sexually, emotionally, spiritually, should come together. You should rebind those together. You should reconnect those. So instead of just the ethic being don't do this and don't do this until, you know, until you put a ring on it, instead of that, maybe it's what we're trying, what we're striving, what we are hoping for is that your fullness of who you are, the fullness of your expression is rebound, reconnected with all of who you are. And what if we thought about ethics and morals in that way to bring the fullness of all those things together rather than saying that they're actually separate? What about money and what about faith, belief, and religion? And oftentimes we think about giving and funds as this thing that you have to do. Um, And we talk about it here, that giving of your finances is not something to strive for. Uh, You know, this is part of the ethic, right? That we are not supposed to be striving for all the riches and all the wealth in the world because that's now separated from something much deeper, much more profound for what finances and money can be used for in this world. What if we thought about money religiously, meaning we take finances and economy and bound it together again with ethics and morals and all the, th- all the other things and the implications of life. Maybe that would change our banking system. Maybe that might change the way people run their businesses, might, might change the way we think about our finances. Jesus talks about if you have a gift and you want to leave it at the altar, but you have something against your friend or your friend has something against you or your brother has something against you, you're supposed to leave your offering there and then go be reconciled to your friend. Why? Because I think what Jesus is teaching is that your offering, your worship to God is bound with how you and your brother are getting 
along. And you can't think of your worship of God as a separate, completely separate thing as the, your relationship with one another, which is why Jesus talks about loving God and loving your neighbor. They are bound together. So religion in this definition is to recognize that what we do when we worship is actually the same thing connected with, rebound with how we treat and love one another. The two are coming together. Does this make sense? Okay. Grace and justice. We have a general understanding and an idea that grace exists and justice exists. What have we thought about both of these two? Not as separate things where people are often sometimes one or the other. They're either too gracious and they're too forgiving. Lutherans, maybe. And if you're a Lutheran, you might understand that. Or... There's too much justice, too much law, too much you have to follow the rules. And what if we thought about these things religiously, meaning we brought the two together? They go hand in hand. We should bind them together. Faith and science. We've already talked a lot about this at our church, that we do not have to forsake one for the other. If we thought about faith and we thought about science religiously, it means that maybe the two actually go hand in hand. They go together. They must be bound together. And the entire movement of the scriptures, if you think about the stories, like in Genesis 11, there's a story of the people at the Tower of Babel and God scatters them all over the, the earth. But what happens at the very end of the story? All those people are brought together again, re connected. And the things, the, the unfortunate sins that come as a result of the scattering of the people, whether that's racism or bigotry or um, hierarchy or classism and all those things that separate us, maybe we need a little bit more religion that recognizes we can actually be bound closer together. We can come together. What about our souls and our spirits and our physical, our work, our family, our friendships, and all of who we are? It's been commonly taught that I have a spiritual life and then I have a work life and then I have a love life and then I have a this life and we have all these different lives together. What if we understood religion as bringing all of those lives together as one? That you are the same person when you are giving a message at a church versus at home alone versus at work versus at play and you are the same person. You brought all of those together. And you recognize that if you are a follower of Jesus, you're not just a follower of Jesus here in a church. You're a follower of Jesus when you're at work, when you're at school. And they are coming together. You're a follower of Jesus when you're behind that wheel, when you're at Walmart, when you're at the DMV. Yes, even there, coming together. And fundamentally, this is, I think, what Jesus is talking about when he says, may your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Because what is the entire religious movement of Christianity? It's not that heaven is separate and up there and someday, which is the common message, someday we will go to heaven. No, the entire message of Jesus is the kingdom of heaven is coming here. So to think about heaven religiously is to think about how earth and heaven are actually coming together they are being rebound together like it was in Eden, like it was in the beginning, like it was in the creation, that it's coming together. 
And ultimately, to think religiously, this is one of my favorite pictures that was sent to me by Jason, we are ultimately reconnecting with God. (laughs) It says down here, be born again. It's in the office of a plastic surgeon, which I think is fascinating. And I love how the elevator doesn't work until you touch the finger of God. And then it goes up. Yeah, the elevator only goes up. (laughs) In this definition, for me, there's something really, really beautifully redeeming about the word religion. Is that all of us, I think, in our lives, if we think about all of these disparate parts, they are separate little pieces that we all participate in. There's things that we counterbalance. We're so much for justice or so much for grace. Or we have morals and ethics on one side and we have, you know, freedom and whatever it is. We can think of a lot of different areas in our lives where things are just separate from one another. And if we begin to think religiously, maybe the whole point and the whole movement is for us to reconnect the wholeness of what life is together. And ultimately what that means is that you are reconnecting, rebinding yourself to the God of this universe. So for me, This redeems that word religion. I love this word now. And I hope that we all, it would be my message and hope that we all begin to think religiously in this sense. That the movement, the ethics, the teachings, the community, the worship, the music, the fellowship, the the sweet time of fellowship, all, all of that that we have together is all things that are helping us reconnect rebind, put back together again. I know there's people in this room, as well as myself, and our hearts have been broken because of things that have happened, because, because of broken relationships, because of mistakes, because of failure. And there's a part of you that just feels like you're not a part of who you are anymore. Well, maybe religion is helping to put all of that back together, to reconnect your soul, your spirit, your self-esteem, your emotions, your mind, all of that, it's putting it back together. Um, I quoted from Richard Tarnas before, but I thought this was appropriate for this, and then I'll ask the team to come back up and we'll close in a song. The highest metaphysical truth, the Christian focus, was the fact of the incarnation, the miraculous divine intervention into human history, the effect of which was to liberate humanity, and there's the key phrase, reunite the material world with the spiritual worlds, the mortal with the immortal, and the creature with the creator. And what happened with Christianity into this movement was that there was a separation because of the fall, because of the way we think about this world. Those things were separate. And when Christ comes, when Jesus comes in the body and the flesh, in the incarnation, it's the movement of bringing back together again that which was broken apart. So we may feel distant from the creator as the creature, but it is our hope that as we work and live religiously, creature, creator are coming back together again. We are rebinding ourselves to God. And that's what it means to be religious. So religion, hopefully, We can think or start the conversation. Maybe it's thinking as rescue and maybe it's thinking as reconciliation. 
rescue because as the widow and the orphan, our hearts are aligned with what God is and reconciliation because our hearts are realigning with who God is. Let's pray. God, I thank you desperately for what it is that you've done and the story that you've told and the amazing work that you are doing in and through this church. I pray, God, that we as a community would begin the steps to learn what it means to reconnect all of these things together. And ultimately, God, I pray that we would take our hearts and begin churning and wrestling and listening and communing with one another, that our hearts would again be bound to yours. And I pray, God, that as a community, we can love one another deeply and desperately because that is what it means to love you. So help us to do that, God, and help us to think about these words as we continue through this series in ways that are helpful and redeeming and transforming. Help us to think about these words in ways that can truly minister to our hearts and help us to think about you and us in new and fresh ways. God, we do use these words. We keep using these words. Help us, Lord, to know a little bit more of what it means. And as that meaning grows deeper and deeper in our hearts, God, may you continually do a work in us and transform us. And we know as we're about to sing that you are making truly beautiful things out of each and every one of us. And we thank you and bless you in your name. Amen.